David as a replacement king. And because he knew that David had a heart that was after him. And uh, the transaction that took place at that point was that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Uh, now, that's, we're not talking about the indwelling Spirit of God like we would today uh, talking about born-again Christians. There's never a time where <clears throat> His indwelling Spirit leaves you when you're born again. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon somebody for service to enable them to do the work of God. And so we have the privilege of having the indwelling Spirit of God, and at the same time, we can also be filled with the Spirit of God for His service. And of course, you can forfeit that filling, uh, but yet you still have His presence. Amen? You still have His person inside of you. But with uh, Saul, it was different, uh, because that's not the way the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. And so the evil spirit, uh, an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him, and uh, that's where we kind of left off last time. And so uh, in verse number 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor uh, in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you to give me the strength I need to bring forth this message tonight. And I pray it be helpful for us, Lord, that we would uh, learn to deal with our souls and deal with the things that are going on in us. And Lord, I pray if there's any bitterness or anger or anything inside of us, Lord, tonight, that we would bring that before you and that spirit would come off of us as well. And Lord, you'd give us a new spirit, renewed spirit in our hearts that we could go forward in forgiveness and live in kindness and in love towards one another. I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, Saul's servants suggested that Saul allow them to find someone skillful to play music for Saul. And we know that this evil spirit was allowed by God. And that reminds me, I really enjoyed Brother Harness's message on Sunday morning where he went through the unforgiving uh, servant and the king that forgave the debt. And it was just a wonderful application that he had there. I really enjoyed that a lot. And that, that really is what it is and how that there's a tormentor that the king allowed for that servant to endure until he paid what he owed. And that was to replicate or do the same thing that the king did for him, forgiving that other, other servant. And so many times when we're an angry person, and we're dealing with inner anger and inner issues, it's because of bitterness. It's because we have failed to forgive somebody for what they have done. We're holding a grudge or something against somebody. And because of that now, the Lord has allowed an evil spirit to come upon us that torments us day and night. It's always playing at us, always eating at us uh, because of that bitterness inside of our soul. And that, of course, triggers anger. And we have anger, angry moments. We, we, we lose our temper. We start running. I remember I talked about in our last um, Overcoming Our Wounded Heart series how that, you know, depending on how you grew up, you, you kind of run at a certain level emotionally. 
Uh, some people run at a 90% so that they only are given like a 10, 10% buffer. And so when you get into something that triggers you, you can easily react and respond to that and, and, uh, and it, people see it very quickly. Others, it's, uh, it seems like you can whack them over the head, they don't even budge. Uh, that's because they maybe have a 10%, they're running a 10% and they've got a lot of room uh, to operate because they've learned to be moderate in their life. Uh, if you've grown up in a situation where your parents were angry, you're probably the kind of person that does not have a lot of leeway when it comes to high-pressure moments in your life. You react immediately because you have a very short span that you operate with. And so the, the key to that is, is to bring in ourselves to a place where we lower that, that particular percentage, where we bring ourselves down, where we have a resting, uh, a resting uh, degree there that gives us a lot of room to endure. And that's why the Lord tells us that we need to endure the cross, take up our cross. And that's why many Christians don't. They don't because they don't have a lot of leeway. They, they can't take a whole lot. They can't take a, somebody saying something bad to them. Uh, some people, they go out and knock on doors one time, and because someone looked at them funny, they'll never go back again. That's because they're running at this 90%, and it doesn't take very much to set them off, and so they back out from that. So they stay away from anything that's going to trigger them to go a little further, you know? And, uh, and so that's not the way we need to live. We need to empty our emotional life to a place where we have rest. Like the Bible talks about, let your moderation be known unto all men. And it says, rejoice the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be careful for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so there's a lack of peace in people's lives. And that's why they're running at that high degree. And you can almost see it on some people. You can just see they're riding the edge. <laughs> you know, some of them are like 99%. You don't want to talk to them because you're going to set them off, you know. And that's because they've lived in a situation. They've become accustomed to, to being triggered all the time. And usually not in a truthful way, which means that they didn't know when to expect it. When, you, when you're a child and you grow up in a home where your parents blow the top a lot, one thing you don't know is when it's going to happen. It's kind of living like next to a volcano. And when you do that, they're, they're always on edge. The children, their emotional life raises to a certain level where they're always waiting, you know. And so you're training your children to react uh, way too easily to pressures in their life. And that's because of the situations you've gone through. So it wasn't right for the parents to bring them up in that situation, but it's also not right for you to continue on in that emotional state. You need to empty yourself. You need to get peace in your heart where you can, where you can operate at a lower level emotionally and take a few hits in life and not have to respond or, or do something drastic whenever something negative happens to you, you know, because that's what life is. It's a bunch of negative things. And life is, uh, what did someone say, it's 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to what happens to you. And so if you've got a high threshold where you're constantly uh, being triggered, you're reacting wrong a lot, and your life is probably not very stable, you know. And so we got to be careful of that. And so, so Saul is in that place. Saul is in that place. The one thing that is going to help him here, and the servants seem to, uh, you know, know this right off the bat. They must have had some kind of a musical insight that music would help him, you know. And I would encourage you, if you're riding on the edge, you're sitting at 95%, don't go playing heavy metal. <laughs> don't, don't play thrash metal. Don't play death metal. Because what you're doing is you're pushing it right to the, to the limit. And, and that music is not going to make the evil spirit depart. In fact, it'll probably force the evil spirit in to your heart. And that's just not the way to handle it. And so, so here we see that God, at the same time in his sovereignty, is working out his will for David's life. David was just anointed king. And so how is David going to be placed into this scenario, into this economy where he's going to be brought into the kingdom? Well, immediately, God's got this plan 
where Saul needs help, and God made it that David was already pre-prepared to help Saul with his emotional, his emotional life through the playing of music. And that's how David got into the scenario of, of the palace and got into the situation where he was learning what happens within the palace situation. And so, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the music aspect here. And um, notice what it says here in verse number 16. Let, let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp. And so we're not talking about someone that just, you know, thrashes around. We're talking about someone who knows how to play the musical instrument. Amen? And I always encourage people, you know, if you're going to take up an instrument, get yourself a teacher. You know, get yourself a teacher. You don't have to start with the virtuoso teachers. I mean, you can start at any level, but at some point you may have to increase that, that level as you go. But everybody should have a little bit of musical training in their life, you know, and you should know what music is. And so uh, many times you should, you should understand good classical music. Sometimes you have classical music playing in your home that brings the temperature down, <laughs> you know. You got kids that get wild, they bounce off the walls, probably because they're watching too many videos on TV, stimulating their, their, their optic nerves, uh, and what, they, what it does is just creates their mind, gets it too busy. They're far too stimulated. So what you need to do is turn the TV off and put on some good classical music. Classical music will bring order to their thinking. And you'll find within a short time, those children will settle down. Uh, you don't have to get them drugs. <laughs> and a lot of people, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my kid. Well, number one, you, you train your kid right. Stop do, lo- letting them do whatever they want. And they probably won't need those drugs. They won't need those labels and those diagnoses and so forth. Uh, it's just crazy what the world is doing to our kids. And so why don't you try what works first? <laughs> and then, well, you know, see what the doctors have to say if you need to. But anyways, notice what it says here. It says, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand. So we're not talking about singing. There's no lyrics to this music. This is simply music that was played with the hand. And like many of the psalms were, were psalms that start off just simply music, playing on the harp, you know. Then David would put, put uh, lyrics to it. And so what we know is that music in its uh, base form is, does, is not amoral. It, it doesn't exist in a neutral capacity. It has some kind of effect, even without the lyrics, and so either it's driving away the, the evil spirit or it's bringing on the evil spirit. And uh, it's very well known, uh, even within Africa, a lot of the, the, the demon worship that goes on there, the drum beats that they use actually bring down the demonic spirits to possess those that are dancing to those particular beats. And those same beats are found in churches today, you know, and so I think that works against what God is doing. I think we have to be careful that we order music right so that the music will drive away the evil, not invite the evil. Amen? And so it's, it's very important to understand this stuff. So the proper balance of rhythm and harmony will allow the melody of the music to bring in a good spirit while driving away the evil. I just put a little chart together here. just want to see if this will work for you. I don't have this on for preaching. Here, I'll, let me just change this. All right. That work? Okay. So basically we have the first line there is melody, harmony, rhythm. That's music. The middle one is how you're created. Your, your structure as a person is spirit, soul, and body. And then you also have your state of submissiveness. Master, steward, and slave. And all these things, they work together. And so your, the state of your soul and your submissiveness to the Lord uh, will dictate what kind of music you listen to. And what kind of music you listen to will feed how you react to scriptural principle. And so it's all connected. You see, God created music in three parts. 
God created man in three parts, and there's also three parts of being submit, submissive. You have the spirit, which is the master. I mean, God's always, he always works through the spirit from the inside out. He doesn't work from the outside in. The devil does that. He puts pressure on the body to cause an emotional experience. That's why even a lot of the contemporary music today, they have an experience, and they mistake some, many times that emotional experience for a spiritual one. But it's not spiritual, because if it were spiritual, it would carry a proper message. The message is always carried through the spirit. And so the spirit works from the inside out. And so when, when, when Saul was listening to this music, where was his problem? His problem was in his soul, the center of where he was. That's where the sin exists. That's where your, your, your bad attitude is, you know, your mind, your will and emotion. That's where you decide to do the wrong thing because you're giving in from the from the from the underside instead of the top side you're allowing the world the pressures or the temptations of the world to dictate your decisions rather than having the scripture through your spirit dictating your decisions amen and so that's how music works as well when you're when you when you have music that's not balanced right you have the rhythm that is more that is more prominent it will come from underneath and it will affect the music, and it will begin to manipulate your soul because it works from the outside in. Rhythm, the word me in, is, is, in the Greek is rail, which means pulse. So every body needs a pulse. We know that. Uh, you have a pulse today, but if you're sitting there and you can feel your pulse looking at me, say, Pastor, I can feel it. Well, there's something wrong with your body. <laughs> Amen? Your pulse isn't meant to be felt, <laughs> you know? But it has to be there to carry your life. You know, you need a pulse. <laughs> you know, no pulse, you're dead. But your pulse has to be under control. And so your pulse is the rhythm. Your pulse is in your body. And your body is your slave. And so the body part of you, that's what has to be brought into subjection. That's not the master. That's the slave. <laughs> Amen. So the rhythm of the music is the slave, not the master. You see? And that's how we need to look at music. So when Saul was listening to music, David playing with his hand, how was David playing? What was the strongest part of David's music? What do you believe? Melody. Melody. You know, that's why in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about making melody in your hearts to the Lord with spiritual songs and hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and so forth. And then it talks about submissiveness, it talks about thankfulness, it talks about living in a submitted lifestyle in the place that God has called you to be, because you're operating with the melody being predominant. And so any music we have must be melodious. Uh, even you got to be careful of too much harmony, you know, too much harmony makes it too complicated, causes your mind to work too hard, amen? Uh, the melody still has to be predominant even though you have a lot of harmony in your music. And harmony is pleasing, there's no doubt about it. But harmony isn't automatic. A child can sing melody without even thinking about it, but a child cannot sing harmony without thinking about it. <laughs> Amen? Because harmony is an act of the soul, it's an act of the mind. Uh, melody is an act of the spirit. That's why a two-year-old has no problem putting out a melody. We got video, videos of Vivian at a very young age just making up songs and melody, very nice little melodies, you know? And, and so it te tells you that a child already understands melody because it's a spiritual thing, amen? But you say, no, sing the Yalto to that. <laughs> well, she's not going to do it because that's mathematical and needs to be learned. But you put a heavy rock beat on, what happens to your child? They dance even though you don't tell them to. You know, I remember I used to have a friend, they, they have small children, they never raised them, right? They were drug users and so forth, and they would always do that. They'd play rock music and they'd laugh at their little boy the way he'd dance to the music. And the kid didn't know what he was doing. All he felt was that driving rhythm, and that driving rhythm controlled the pulse of his body. <laughs> and so they were training him to actually allow the rhythm to drive his life. 
And, you know, that's why a person that is carnal, a Christian that is carnal, like Saul was, he operates from the body up, not from the spirit down. So what your music is will, will actually be an evidence of what kind of spiritual life you live, you know? That's why many people, when they, when they listen to hymns, oh, I'll never listen to that, I don't like that music. Well, no, because you've trained your body to be upside down. You've trained your, 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 your structure to operate opposite than it should. <laughs> That's why many people, even when they change over to hymns after listening to heavy metal music, they start getting headaches. Because they've already trained their brain to operate in a certain way, to have the drive come from underneath. But now the melody comes from the top, and it changes their whole perspective of music, you know? And so uh, I expect that. Anybody that listens to rock music, and you'd ask them, hey, you like hymns? They'd probably say no. That's why many times today you ask people, even in contemporary Christian music, they have a negative attitude towards hymns. Many of them. I remember there was a family that I, that I knew, and they wanted me to play guitar with them, and they were a good family. And I wanted to just, you know, play the hymns. <laughs> they got mad at me. All oh, those hymns, and they start getting negative. <laughs> because they've already trained themselves to, to accentuate the rhythm of music. They wanted that in the harmony, but they were, they were putting little emphasis on the melody. So when David was playing with his hand, it was strong melody. Amen? And it was a proper melody, <laughs> you know? You got to remember that even melody uh, can carry a message, and your melody always does carry a message. You can carry a haunting message with your melody. You can carry an immoral message with your melody. And so how you put the notes together is how it works as well. Have you ever had somebody tell you, oh, you telling me that the A note is somehow wrong or bad or good? <laughs> no, but when you take the A and you put this note and that note with it, that's when the message comes out of it. Amen? And so it's not the unit itself, but it's the invention of the evil heart of man that creates the message in it, or whether God is in it. All right? You get what I'm saying here? And so I just want you to understand that in relation to Saul. So when David played the music with his hands, no lyrics, because that's what they say, oh, as long as the lyrics are good, the music is good. No, you can have music without lyrics that drives away evil spirit. Or you can have music with lyrics or without lyrics that brings on the evil spirit. You can have instrumental music that is spiritual that way. Amen? And so I think that's just important to learn. So to have a healthy soul, one must have the spiritual in control. So it's something you have to decide to do. Now, now um, uh, Saul was not a spiritual man. He was carnal. He did not decide to be spiritual. If he would have, then he wouldn't have needed music to drive away the evil spirit. <laughs> then he would have lived his life in a state of happiness and joy. But because he was a carnal Christian, God allowed music to give him a reprieve for a short time. But when the music was removed, the evil spirit came back because he was carnal. He was carnal. And so... But music is still good. Sometimes it gives a person the opportunity to think through things where they'll make the decision to, to be spiritual instead of remaining in that carnal lifestyle. So you notice that David was placed in this position here. God gave him the talent, uh, the ability to play music in a way that God could use him. And so I think that every person here that has anything to do with music ought to remember that God gave you that, that gift to use it for his honor and glory. That you could be used to drive away the evil spirits. Amen. Not to bring it on. And folks, I know I was a rock musician for many, many years. Over a decade of my life. And I toured around. I played in bars. I played big gigs and, and so forth where there were hundreds. And one place is over a thousand people we played before. And, uh, you know, so I know what rock music is. You can't fool me with that. The contemporary crowd can't come to me and say, oh, I'm going to teach you something. No, you won't. <laughs> this has nothing to do. You, you're so foolish. 
And I remember when it came in in the 90s where the, the advertisements came on the TV for CCM because what happened is the, the, um, these record companies were beginning to see a market form. And so they began to latch on to these Christian artists like uh, Amy Grant and so forth who started in a, you know, a very modest beginning. But when the record company gets a hold of them, they bring them right into that lifestyle. And now they're making money off these people just like they would Black Sabbath. In fact, some of these record companies would play, would still, you know, write, you know, albums for these guys at the same time they're doing CCM. Because it's nothing to do with, you know, right or wrong. It has to do with money to them, you know. And so that was happening. So, so they knew that there was a, a faction of Christianity that was bucking this. And there was a strong opposition at the beginning, way back in the 80s and 90s, where conservative Christians would say, this is wrong. <laughs> Keep this stuff out of our church, you know. But it slowly has crept in, and a lot of places was, was invited in by people that were not scriptural because they thought somehow it would bring the, the youth back. That was the argument. Knocking doors. I remember back in the 90s, I'd have church leaders, oh, we're just trying to get our youth back. And I just... And I would tell them, you're wrong. This is not how you're going to get your youth back. In fact, you're going to lose them. <laughs> you need the word of God. You need to preach the scripture. You put a fire in your preaching, and those young people will enjoy it. They will come to hear the word of God being preached. And it'll have nothing to do with the music. Amen? And then when they choose to be spiritual, they'll also enjoy the godly music that speaks to the soul the way it ought to speak to us. All right? And so I would say, you know, just be sure that if, you're, if you've got some kind of uh, talent, some ability that you hone that for God to use it. And I understand some people start on the wrong side of the spectrum. That's what I did, you know. So I put it away for a long time. I didn't even want to play with it, you know, and, and use it. Because I thought, hey, there's, there's enough people in our church that I don't have to get involved. I'll just preach, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, I do love playing the guitar, but I want to play it right. You know, that's why I always warn people, I want to play guitar too. Yeah, well, because it's an easy instrument to catch on to, but the problem is you're going to catch on to these three-chord blues riffs and so forth, and you start playing blues and Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, and that's going to be your repertoire. I mean, if that's what you're going to do, then don't start. <laughs> Get a teacher. Get a teacher. Learn it right. Amen? So it's very important. So David had some abilities here. It says that he was cunning and playing. That means he knew, he learned, he perceived, he had experience. He had spent many hours in the pasture learning the instrument. In fact, he got to be a designer of the instrument. Uh, David was the first person to invent the guitar. The first hollow-bodied instrument with strings laid over the hollow body was created by David himself. You know, so the guitar is ad, ad, adapt, uh, adaptation, it's my medication, sorry, adaptation of, of uh, David's instruments, amen? And so we have to be careful of that. Uh, man of war, he says, you're a, or a mighty, valiant man. He's brave, he was influential, he would, he would stir people to do braver things because he was there. He had influence on people. They wouldn't cower because he was there. They wouldn't quit because he's there. They'd feel, I got to continue on because he's here. Amen. That's the kind of person he was. He was prudent in matters. He had discernment. He observed things. He paid attention to. He was wise that way. He was intelligent. He was discreet. He understood things. And we have to learn to be that way as well. He was a comely person. That means he took care of the way he looked. Amen? And we need to do that as well. It's important that we look at our, the way we present ourselves and present ourselves in a comely way. It doesn't matter. I mean, even if you're not gifted with all the greatest looks like me. Amen? I still can make myself look half decent. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anybody can. And so we have to work at that. And have people respect us because we're trying to do things the right way and be clean and so forth. And most importantly, the last thing, the Lord was with him. And this was the testimony of these servants. They said, man, the Lord is with this young man. Wouldn't you love that to be said of you? And, you know, and, and they could. And maybe they are. Maybe people are saying, man, the Lord is on that guy, on that lady. You know, she's doing right. She's 
loves the Lord. Saul was very content at this point to employ David uh, as David was there to cater to him, to his desires in the way that pleased him. And so at this point, it was great. Yeah, Jesse, let him stay here. I love him. He, he, uh, he's so blessed, and I want him to live with me, and so forth. <laughs> but it didn't take long because he had an anger problem. He had a jealousy problem that all of these positive things in David's life became points of jealousy with, with Saul, especially when other people began to compare Saul with David. And so Saul was not right with the Lord, and it, it, it had a bad impact on him. Saul's fear was revealed when contrasted to David's faith. And this is really the first time where this is being seen in how, the, how Goliath came and challenged the children of Israel. And you see that there in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'll just read this, and uh, I won't go any further than this. We'll, we'll shut her down. It says, And there went out a champion out of the camp, of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you not, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose ye a man for you and let him come down to fight me. If ye be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is a problem. He had God's people afraid of the size of a man that was being used by the devil and attacking God himself, attacking the principles of our Lord. And they wouldn't see that as a cause enough to trust God to go forward and, and to fight this Goliath. They stood in fear, this whole army against this one man. Even Eliab, David's brother. You know, remember when Samuel thought, when he saw Eliab, I'm going to anoint Eliab. This has got to be the guy. Look at him. He's just such a, you know, that's a man's man. You know, surely the Lord will pick Eliab to be the next king. Well, here we find out why God didn't choose Eliab. Because Eliab was cowering with the rest of them. He saw no cause. In fact, when David came along and heard the words of the Philistine and was stirred up in his heart against this uh, blasphemous person that was blaspheming his God, Eliab started attacking David. Oh, I know the pride of your heart. He said, you're a prideful person. Oh, I'll tell you something. When you try to do right and you stand for something, People that don't want to do right, they're going to pick at you. They're going to pick at you. You know, they want to bring you down to their level. They want to put you in the same camp that they're in. You're just like us. You're just as dirty and rotten as we are. Well, no, he isn't. <laughs> David had faith. And that was very much contrasted to the fear of Saul. And so this is where it all began, this, this comparison from Saul to David. And now David had already been before the king. And I, knew, I, I believe that Saul knew who David was here, even though we don't see that necessarily laid out that clearly. And so David feared the Lord and knew that the Lord would deliver his people from this blaspheming giant. He had no doubt about it. Verse 37, it says, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear... He will deliver me out of the pot of this, uh, Paul, the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Well, aren't you a spiritual king? <laughs> the Lord be with you. Well, whether you say the Lord's going to be with me or not really doesn't have a whole lot of meaning right now, Mr. Spiritual. And if the Lord's with me, it surely isn't because you just said it. <laughs> the Lord is with me because I believe God, something you're not. Amen. 
But David didn't make a big deal about that. He wasn't trying to get at the king here. He was just really thinking that this giant needs to be taken down. <laughs> he's blaspheming my God. He's blaspheming God's people. And we're gonna, just going to stand up and fight this guy. And then David said to the Philistine, verse 45, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is what it's all about. David was concerned about God's testimony to the world. It wasn't about how good he looked. He didn't care about that. He says, I want to know at the end of this battle, they're going to say God is real. God is alive. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's why Saul tried giving him his armor. He says, well, you can't take him on like that. Take my armor. <laughs> you know, fact of the matter is you had your armor. It didn't do you any good because you're too scared to go in the battle anyways. So it's not about the armor. David says, I don't have proved these things. These things haven't helped me. I don't know how it's going to work. And he threw them to the side. I'll just go there with my little sling and a couple of stones. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they thought this kid's crazy. But you know, they're in that position where they knew there was nobody, not one soldier, not one mighty man that was going to stand up and fight for the cause of Christ. Isn't that something? Except this little teenager. So Saul had learned to depend upon his own abilities, his own weapons, but David depended upon the Lord for victory. Saul was fearful whenever there was a challenge greater than his ability and his resources. Any, that, that spear could pierce my armor, so I don't want to face that spear. And so whatever the strength of the enemy was, he would always compare it to his resources and his abilities. And if it didn't match up, he would walk away in fear. You see, and that's what we do. We do the same thing. We look at the situation, oh, well, that, they're more powerful than me. They got more money than me. They've got more influence than me. So I'm scared, <laughs> you know, but they don't have God. And we got to start, start to learn to depend upon the Lord so that the, Lord, the people may know that there is a God that is alive. And maybe if we'd be more concerned about that instead of the way we look, maybe we would stand up more for the Lord. That's why David says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David would grow in favor in the eyes of Israel because of his faith. And the more the people honored David, the more angry Saul became. <laughs> you know, Because the fact of the matter is this. When you do right and you start living right, people are going to notice that. And they will praise you. And the Bible says that. Let another man's lips praise thee. Don't praise yourself. So you don't walk around saying, hey, oh, look how great I am. That's what a lot of people do. They start talking about themselves. Hey, I did this. I've done that. I've got more money. I've gone more places. Oh, you went there. I went there. <laughs> you know, uh, you got that. You got a Ford. I got a Chevy. <laughs> you know, and they start comparing themselves to other people. You know, but that's not the way David was. The more the people honored David, the more angry Saul became. Verse 6 of chapter 18, it says, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands. And I'm sure Saul was listening. Oh, yes, that sounds pretty good. Until he heard the second verse. And David, his ten thousands. What? And the Bible says that Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David tens thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? It's an amazing thing. When you see God work on somebody's life, it does bring a reality check into your soul. Sometimes you can look at somebody when you're not right with God, and they look like they are right with God, 
I'm going to tell you something. That person could very well take your place. See, that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of losing that which we have. (laughs) So here we are in a church setting. Let's say I'm a Sunday school teacher. And maybe I haven't been walking with God the way I should be. Maybe I'm not worthy to be a teacher to the children. And someone comes to church that is walking with God. Someone that does have the abilities and we start eyeing this person out because we know in our spirit that they would have what it takes to do better than what we are doing. That's a, that's a reality moment, <laughs> you know. I don't know if you've ever sensed that in your life with people, but that can be very easily sensed in a child of God. But that's not the time to become jealous and angry at that person. That's a time to say, you know what, I probably need to kick up my act a little bit here. I need to start walking with God. If God gave me this position, maybe I need to be what God wants me to be to to hold this position, to be used by him in this position. See, if Saul would have done that, we wouldn't be having this problem. (laughs) But instead of getting right, he just maintained his carnality where God had to pull him out and replace him. And Saul knew in his spirit that this man is going to take my kingdom. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't bring it to a place where, where he says it's going to happen. <laughs> it's kind of like the devil thinks he's going to win. Amen. Instead of dealing with himself, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. So Saul began silently resenting David's goodness. And there's a serious problem happening when someone resents another because they desire to do right and the Lord blesses them for it. If there's ever a time where you look at the blessings of others and it bothers you, you've got a serious spiritual problem in your life. And it's time to deal with it. <laughs> because you're already way down the line. Remember, Saul, we're on, a, we're on a decline. And we're getting near the end. And now he's silently resenting people in his heart. Not because they've done wrong, but because they've done right. And he knows they're showing him up. And he knows that I cannot accomplish what David is because I don't have God on me anymore. I cannot manufacture what God is doing in David's life. (laughs) There's no counterfeiting that. There's no pretending. And so he resented, silently resented. Now, I don't want to go any further today. We do have a little bit left in this study of Saul and it is, I, and I know it's a little different type of study. I just kind of walking through his life. And I hope that you've been picking up some things as we've gone through and understanding his life a little bit better as we, as we read through these passages. Amen. And so hopefully it's helping you. But um, I'll, I'll leave you with this. I think I need to say this. Now, we were talking about music. So now David was called again before Saul to play once again, because the evil spirit was upon Saul. But now the evil spirit was there and it had a focus on David. So what happened is Saul began to listen to this music, but he wasn't preparing his heart to have the evil spirit depart. He actually sat down with a javelin in his hand. That's not a person wanting the evil spirit to depart. (laughs) That's a person that has a lot of resentment and bitterness. Maybe when he sat down with it, it wasn't necessarily that I'm going to kill David, but that spirit was working on him. So as David began to play well with his hands and play the music that was pleasing to the Lord and that had that impact, it already stopped having that impact on him because his anger became so deep that even the music itself would no longer drive away the evil spirit. And where now the music itself, as good as it was, was driving him into deeper hatred. And that's where two times Saul took that javelin and whipped it at David. David being a, a real, uh, <laughs> you know, mobile man. <laughs> and the Lord's help jumped out of the way. 
what I don't get is after the first time, David came back and did it again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a man that, you know, David was quite a man. He really was. That he was willing to forgive Saul of all these evil things and go back and just simply be a blessing to him again. But again, he threw the javelin. You see, what a terrible situation. The Psalms of David began to irritate Saul. He prepared with a javelin in his hand to strike David. That's quite something. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. This is David's psalm. It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. He's talking about God afflicting him. And he's thankful. <laughs> Let I pray thee thy merciful kindness be my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed for the deal they dealt perversely with me without a cause. But I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. You know what? That's a totally different mentality than Saul. Saul didn't look at his afflictions as a blessing. He looked at them all as a cursing. And that's what an angry man does. An angry man doesn't take an inventory of the battles they go through and the afflictions and the trials and the troubles and the, the things that you just wish weren't there in your life and actually look at that and say, Lord, you're afflicting me for a good reason. And I'm grateful to you that you're bringing me closer to you. You're giving me a greater love for your word and you're causing me to depend upon you. Amen? Remember what an angry man is? An angry man is just simply someone that wants to have their own way. That's what an angry person is. I want to do my own thing. <laughs> and as long as that is in your heart, you will always be angry. You will never have peace. Until you can get to the point and say like David about it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Amen? That's not my choice. God's choice, and I submit to it. <laughs> Amen. Boy, if Saul would have done that, what a different story we'd have about him, but that's not the way it is. Saul cast his javelin. It says, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand, just happened to be. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Be careful with angry people. They're always looking for an opportunity to strike. Many times I have to tell my family, I have to say, you know what? You know, a lot of people can make mistakes. A lot of people can say things maybe they don't mean. I says, but when you do it, it's different. Now, it's not fair. I know in the, in the big scheme of things, it's not fair. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. As a pastor's kid or as a pastor, it may not be fair that people pick at you like that. But at the same time, we have a far greater privilege. And I remind our children of that. So maybe you have to be more careful, <laughs> you know, because... Whatever you say will go back in their gun. <laughs> but you also have been chosen for a very specific purpose. So maybe your, your natural weakness won't be, uh, it won't be appreciated by others, <laughs> you know. But don't worry about it. The Lord will protect you. And you know what? You shouldn't want to trade that for anything, you know. Now, I put myself in this thing. Before 
I became a pastor, I, I, I was not in a pastor's family, you know. So I was basically out of all of that. So I brought my family in. So they could blame me for it, you know. But ultimately, it's not me, it's God. And God's got a plan for each one of us. Just we got to get to this point that, you know what, it's good for us to be afflicted. You know, it's not good for the people afflicting us. I mean, there's judgment that will take place. But you know something? God is going to use it. God's going to bless. He's going to make us stronger. He's going to give us a greater love for God, a greater love for his word, you know. We just, and you know what? It makes you wiser. It makes you have to be wiser about how you say things, how you do things. And it helps you understand in a deeper way the, how people are, you know. Sometimes when my children grew up, they had to learn the idiosyncrasies of human nature when other kids didn't care one way or another, you know. We had to sit down and explain to them. You know, this is why that, that one's jealous at you. Because when you're a pastor's daughter, you're always the object of jealousy. Every time. It's never been, you know, 20 years of, or 20 years of ministry that we did not have to go through that with our girls especially. Our boys, not so much. <laughs> Do you understand? And so we have to look at that as a blessing. God is putting us in this privilege. And sure, it's, it's, a, it's a high profile thing. And, and you as a Christian, even in, in this church, do you understand? You could go to a place and get a lot less scrutiny. But because you're here, you'll have more scrutiny on your life. But it's a good thing for the Lord to afflict us. I remember our home church back in Winkler. Um, people would make up things about the church all the time. They'd just make up lies and rumors. And I mean, I've heard everything under the sun. <laughs> And so when people come to church, this is what they first hear. They hear all of that before they come to church. So what happens is, I guess it's the devil that places a big obstacle in front of the door. Now that would seem like a cursing. <laughs> but the more I began to think of it, the more I began to be grateful for it. <laughs> because any person that was willing to climb over the obstacle to get inside was somebody that really